Father, once again, we come before you and we thank and praise you for this time of year, a time we can remember the greatest gift that was ever given. We ask that you would be with us as we begin our Christmas celebration together here in this church, that you would sanctify us in heart and soul. And Lord, that all that we do this season would be bringing glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may I often wonder if it's not just a way to conjoin the dissident twins of the secular celebration and what we would call the religious celebration of Christmas. And uh, that's, that's not our goal here tonight. You know what? There is not one verse in the Bible that preaches against making memories with your family and enjoying the blessings that God has given you. That should be every day of the year, not just on Christmas. Amen? But sometimes we think that we are doing God a favor if we show up on Christmas and Easter. We, we don't enrich God when we come to church, but I'll tell you this. At this church, we're glad whenever you show up. Because the more you hear the Word of God, the closer you will be drawn to it, and the more opportunities you will have to be obedient to it. And that's exactly what God is looking for. And, and as I keep hearing this spirit of Christmas over and over again, uh, I begin to think, what, what really is the true spirit of Christmas? And, of course, if you believe in the Bible, the first thing you probably think of is the Holy Spirit of God. And that would be, yes, but, but there is a, a certain feeling this time of year. And as I began to go through the events, there was some things that went on there that are just amazing. And this idea of the spirit of Christmas, it's not a person but, but there is some things that are going on here and some things that God wants to do in the lives of individuals. And he did at that first Christmas. And let me tell you, he still wants to do it today. How many of you are familiar with the story? How many of you have read the Bible story? Raise your hand. I mean, we don't want to leave anybody out. If you're here and you don't know the story, we'll take time to tell it. But tomorrow morning in our Sunday school, we'll have uh, pictures and all of that, our reporters were there, no, uh, made up pictures. But and, and one of the things I don't believe we have in any of the pictures is the donkey Mary rode on to, uh, to Bethlehem because she didn't ride on a donkey. She had to walk. How many of you ladies would like to walk 60 miles up and down mountain roads, nine months pregnant? I'll tell you what, that would not be a pleasant journey. But the Lord knew exactly what he was doing. And when they got to Bethlehem, there was no room for them in the inn. They were out where the cattle lived. And in a manger, the King of glory, the Creator God of the universe, was wrapped in human flesh and dwelt among us. But I want us to pick up our story in verse 13 of Luke chapter 2, if you want to follow uh, along with me. Actually, in verse, um, I'm sorry, verse 8, it says, 
And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Luke chapter 2. I just read verse 8. We'll read verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone, uh, shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Now, I love the picture that is painted here. And I've talked to many people. We're not going to answer all the questions about Christmas, but over the years I run into people, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas. Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, and they go on. And yeah, those th- we don't know what day Jesus was born. Uh, could you think of a better day than December 25th to celebrate it? I can't. I mean, let's just... Why argue the point? But... If God didn't want us to enjoy a little bit about Christmas, why did he send the angel choir to announce the birth? God did make a big deal. Let me take how many times in history did God send a group of angels down to sing and announce something he had done? Uh, Let me tell you what, not very many times. But I was thinking about these shepherds. They're out in the Judean pasture land, just a few miles maybe or less than that outside of Bethlehem. There is still a monument that is ancient. In the Hebrew, it's known as Migdal Eder. It's called the Tower of the Flock. There was a prophecy in the book of Micah that said, that at the tower of the flock would be the first dominion. I believe the answer to that is that the angels showed up at that very spot prophesied in Micah hundreds of years before Jesus was born to tell these shepherds what had just happened. But let me ask you a question. If you've been here for Christmas services before, you know the answer. Why did the shepherds find out first? You see, they weren't just ordinary shepherds. On Passover, there would be over a hundred thousand 
lambs sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? Where do you get 100,000 lambs in 4 B.C.? And get another in 5 B.C. And another one the, the year after. And another one all the way up until the temple was destroyed. Every year Passover was celebrated. They had at least that many lambs sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem. Well, there had to be a place to feed and raise all those lambs. Guess whose job it was? Uh, maybe it was shepherds that raised lambs. And I believe it was these shepherds that were the priestly shepherds taking care of the sacrificial flocks. And wouldn't it be interesting that God came to the very people who were responsible for raising the sacrifices and told them first about his sacrifice. Someone says, there's not one shred of historical evidence to back all that up. Well, you know what? There's not a lot of historical evidence to back up a lot of things, but it fits with the prophecy and it fits with the over, uh, uh, overall scheme of scriptures. And it was the place where the sacrificial flocks were raised. And it wasn't just one or two sheep. How many shepherds would it take to raise a flock of that size? I don't think it was two or three guys that showed up at Bethlehem's manger. Ladies, hours after you give birth in the most untoward circumstances, all of a sudden, 150 or 200 men come trooping through the maternity wards wanting to stare at the baby. That'd be pretty amazing now, wouldn't it? But those numbers, and I'm, I praise God, we never had to put up with that. But those are very conservative numbers. For the number of the amount of shepherds it would take to take care of a flock that size. And yet, what made the shepherds leave their flocks and go to Bethlehem? Now, we live in America. If you were out in the middle of the woods and all of a sudden a shining light showed up in the middle of the night and you saw this heavenly choir singing, you'd be saying... Where's that bottle of Prozac? I need another dose. Uh, where, where, uh, I'm going to stop taking whatever I took. I mean, this is bad stuff here. We wouldn't do a thing about it. And I begin thinking, the spirit of the events that happened that night had a momentum, had an impetus, if you like bigger words, all of its own. And those shepherds were drawn into the events. The greatest event in all of history is how the God, the Creator, became man and dwelt among us. We call him Emmanuel for that reason. The name means God with us. And as these events happened, these shepherds had received a direct revelation from God through the angels. 
they obeyed that revelation. And we don't know how many of them showed up. I'd like to think all of them did, amen? To view God's eternal sacrifice for sin. That was something that stirred up the whole countryside. Do you think three guys going to Bethlehem Christmas Eve when Jesus was born would have stirred up the whole countryside? Don't think so. But maybe two or three hundred shepherds everywhere they go keep telling the same story. You see, your numbers keep getting bigger. Well, I'm thinking about that hundred thousand sheep. A hundred guys, that'd be pretty tough to take care of that many sheep. I mean, it just... Put put your mind in the circle here. There were some things going on that drew these men to Bethlehem's manger. And let me tell you, God is in the drawing business. How many of you remember where you were when you first heard the gospel story? Probably sounded like foolishness. You said, I don't believe that. But somewhere, somehow, somebody gave you God's revelation. Maybe they just quoted you the Bible verses. I remember years ago, meeting with somebody, and he said, Oh, don't get that Bible out. I said, Is it okay to quote it to you? Oh, yeah, sure. So, man, I gave him every scripture verse I had memorized. took a couple hours, but uh, I gave him everything I had. you know why? Because there's power in God's Word. You have someone, you have a family member, a loved one that's unsaved. Give them scripture. That's God's revelation. Do you know that there's some of this Bible that angels gave to different men and they wrote it down? Some of it God spoke directly and he gave it. God is using his word just like he did that first Christmas to draw men to draw mankind to the Savior. Amen? But that wasn't the end of it. You know what? God's not limited in how he works. Let's read down a little further here. And if I have any favorite person in the whole events of the Christmas story, it is Simeon. We're going to read about him next. How many of you remember that Christmas when uh, our missionary to Africa, Brother Pat Cassidy, he wasn't a missionary back then. He came here and on Christmas Sunday, I'm not even sure, I think Christmas was on a Sunday that year. And Brother Pat and his family were here. And Brother Pat's an excellent artist. And I told the story of Simeon and he drew the picture. Does anybody remember that? I found the picture a while ago and somebody had put something on top of it and messed it all up. That was, that was a tragic day. I mean, it was a big, beautiful picture. I mean, uh, we got the biggest piece of paper we could find and, and uh, Brother Pat happened to have his chalk with him and he drew that. And the way he drew the picture was you couldn't see the face of Simeon because he was looking down at the baby, but the baby was shining light up into his face. It was just gorgeous picture. But that was the second group who were drawn to the Lord through what I'm going to call the true spirit of Christmas. You see, 
When those men heard God's word given to them through the angels, what did they do? Those shepherds obeyed it. And if you're going to get saved today, guess what? You're going to hear God's word and you're going to obey it just like they did. But let's look at the story of Simeon and Anna. And uh, we'll just skip down here to to verse um, 23. It says, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons... There was a a time, the days of her purification, verse 22, I should have read that. And they had to come to the temple and offer a sacrifice. In verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And then I want you to skip down to verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers Night and day. Now, this is the testimony of these two people. They were different than the shepherds. Both Simeon and Anna lived in the temple complex. They spent their whole life about worshiping God. We've had many come through our doors... He says, oh, pastor, I think I'll be a great part of your church. I've had much religious experience, and I've been here, and I've been there, and I always smile a little bit when someone tells me, but because the first thing you need to know is you need to know Jesus as your Savior. Because it doesn't matter what you do until you're saved. Nothing else matters. And you know, some people have a long way to find the Savior. And they search in religion and they worship God the best way they know how. Now, I want you to know about these two is Simeon and Anna were both being obedient to the Word of God. And the center of the Old Testament law was the temple there at Jerusalem. And that's where they were. But you know, every time there was a sacrifice offered for sins in that temple, guess what happened? You had to be reminded of the sins that you had sinned. That's what the book of Hebrews says. And in those sacrifices, there was a remembrance from sin. When you come to Jesus Christ, what does he do with your sin? He forgives you. Why? Because he paid the price for all sin. Now, Simeon and Anna didn't understand that. It all hadn't happened yet. But they knew one thing. It was coming soon. They were in the temple worshiping God. And at the moment, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in. 
they were drawn to the Savior. I've often talked to people and they say, well, I I understand, but I'm just not ready to get saved yet. How many people remember when you were there? The answer, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know what? Simeon and Anna were in the right place. They were studying the scriptures. They were being told. God didn't send the angels to the temple to announce the birth of Christ. But those two that were in there that were looking for him, guess what? When he came in, they found him. You see, God has to draw you to him. But if you will find the Savior, if you will seek for him, you'll find out that God was seeking much more diligently for you. He never loses you. He knows exactly where you were. I remember years ago, we had a gentleman. He said, why did God wait until I was 77 years old for me to get saved? I said, well, that's real easy because God knew you would accept the gospel at 77. He kept you alive until this day. Simeon and Anna. You see, it wasn't that we ignore God. Most of us have God in our conscience at one level or another. But it's a whole different thing to meet the Savior personally. To put your full faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. The shepherds heard the word of God from the angels. It's a lot easier for you. You can hold it in your hand. And of course, if you're here tonight and don't have a Bible, don't leave without getting one. No, we're not going to sell you one. We'll give you one. Amen. Because we want you to have God's word. But there's many people who say, I've always been seeking God. Simeon and Anna, you still have to meet Him. And you still have to believe on Him personally. Amen? Now, probably the most famous, let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, the most famous. Uh, There are more stories made up about the wise men than I think about everybody else in the story combined. Uh, I mean, these wise men, where did they come from? How did they know that this star meant that Jesus was born? And I'm going to give you the scriptural answer to those questions tonight. We don't know. The Bible does not tell us. And no, one didn't come from India. And one wasn't from Africa. And the other guy from China... It's really nice on the little claymation things. Uh, And their names weren't whatever people say they are. And there weren't three of them. But there were three gifts, Pastor. Come on, you got to give us that. Uh, We don't know how many wise men, but let me tell you, three guys riding on camels would not upset the city of Jerusalem. You think Herod would have been, went crazy like he did over three wise men riding in. 
It says the whole city of Jerusalem was moved with him. Look, let's just read. I'm sorry, I'm telling the story instead of reading it. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, I don't know how many people were in their group, in their traveling group, how many kings there were, and they weren't kings, they were wise men, uh, meaning they were men who studied uh, the sciences. They observed the planets and the stars and the movement and all they had were their eyes. They didn't have telescopes and all the things that we have today. But they knew something had happened. Now, how did they make the connection between the appearing of this great star and the birth of the king of the Jews? The only teeniest clue we can give you is Daniel. If you were here Thursday night, we talked about Daniel's 70 weeks. And it had given a time of 69 weeks. And if they could have figured that out, they were the smartest men in the history of the world. Let me tell you, they deserved the title wise men. Uh, I don't know where else they could have gotten it other than Daniel's prophecy. They were from the east, which would have meant Persia, uh, possibly Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. They came in a large enough caravan that the entire city of Jerusalem and Herod would turn and do some of the most dastardly, vile deeds known to mankind to try to circumvent what these wise men had foretold. I'll tell you a few things about the wise men that's kind of strange. If they knew anything about the Scriptures and anything about Herod, do you think they would have visited Herod? Absolutely not. King Herod was of the most evil family. One of these days, HBO is going to make a series on Herod. But the only problem is the depravity standards of our nation are going to have to get a whole lot lower before HBO can delve to those depths. That's how bad Herod is, was. These guys had to have something of a misunderstanding in order to stop and see Herod. Let me tell you that. But it does tell me something about them. They thought that everyone knew what they knew. They thought that everybody in the land of Israel had an idea that this star existed and it could connected. So that tells us that they were pretty ignorant of an awful lot of things now, doesn't it? But they were wise enough to make the connection. How they made that? The Bible's absolutely silent. And the other thing that is just absolutely amazing to me is they went into Jerusalem and acted like the priest and the high priest and the Sadducees and Herod and the political... Everybody would be happy about this thing. You know what? Nobody's happy when a new king shows up. I mean, just look at our politics. They keep going to the same 
dead, dried up, wrong people. Why can't we get somebody that knows what they're doing? Well, that's the way politics work, my friend. First century, 21st century. You keep going back to the same old dumb people for the same old wrong answers and sanity's doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result, right? I just want you to think about this and I'm, I'm not going to answer questions here. Maybe I'll create more than I answer, but let me tell you this. God uses ways to draw men to the Savior that you and I just don't understand. I can't tell you how many people say, well, I just showed up here tonight. I don't even know why. Well, I'm going to classify you as a wise man. Amen? God is doing something that we just don't understand. And you know what? He's capable of that. But the goal of each one of these that we've looked at tonight, the shepherds didn't have the written word of God. He sent the angels to tell them. Simeon and Anna, they were in the temple seeking God. And at the very time that Jesus was brought to offer the sacrifice for Mary's cleansing, guess what? They were drawn to that child. It took the wise men two years after Jesus' birth. If you read Luke's statement, after they offered the sacrifice, they went back to Nazareth. And yet here... In uh, Matthew chapter 2, we're back in the city of Bethlehem. They didn't come to the manger. Read your Bible. They went to a house. Why? Because Mary and Joseph found room in the city of Bethlehem. They had their own home there. It was Joseph's city of his heritage. Verse 11 says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Verse 12, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. They thought that everybody knew what they knew. But they were the only men in history that knew what they knew. God uses many ways to draw many people to Him. And you know what? We can't explain it. Can we just call it the spirit of Christmas? God drawing people to His Son. At His birth, after His birth, and, of course, where you and I want to stop is we need to stop at Calvary's cross. Amen? That's where the price of our sins was paid. But don't get caught up in the cross so much that you forget about the empty tomb. That's where the proof that He is who He said He was. Every religion known to mankind has a tomb with at least one body in it. Some of them are full of bodies, hundreds of bodies. Only the Bible goes to a tomb that only held one body, but it was only for three days. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, but he rose again from the